Hello, and welcome to Compass Church. If you have any questions about this message or are interested in learning more, please contact us. We'd love the opportunity to connect. Now, enjoy today's message. Well, we're returning uh, to 1 Corinthians as uh, we've had a couple of weeks off with uh, Easter, which was a great celebration, and we uh, covered the triumphal entry, which I think is always advantageous to revisit. And uh, so now we're uh, returning to Corinthians, and I'm, I want to encourage you to continue to remember the context of Corinthians. Remember Paul planted a church in Corinth, and that this letter of 1 Corinthians is probably written three to five years after he had planted that church. Uh, Corinth was a, uh, a port city. It was a growing metropolis. It had a lot of business. It had a lot of education. It had a lot of uh, uh, entrepreneurial uh, uh, things going on with uh, people getting rich, uh, people that were newly freed from from uh, the slave system were going to Corinth as a port city, a metropolis, and it was also a place where there was a lot of uh, uh, promiscuity and immorality, and uh, the church was planted in this uh, dark place, in this difficult place. Uh, I wanted to show a little map of where uh, Corinth was. Uh, this is got to imagine a bigger section of the Mediterranean Sea right up in the north. There's uh, uh, Athens and Corinth. And you see Corinth right there. It's, it's a port city because, not because it's out on the edge of the water, but the ships could uh, sail down to Corinth and they had an isthmus, meaning that they had a little uh, road that they could pull the boats across that, uh, on land and then they'd get into that next little gulf and they could... Uh, sail on from there rather than going all the way around the peninsula of Achaia. So uh, it became a very populated city. A lot of people traveled there. And there were a lot of different ideas happening in the city. It kind of reminds us a little bit of our day. We have uh, great prosperity in our land. We have great education. There's lots of different philosophies and ideas uh, floating around and what was happening that was some of those ideas were creeping into the church and as we're studying first corinthians we're realizing those ideas and and paul is combating those ideas that are really detrimental to the gospel that are seeping into the church and that's one of the reasons that it's a, an important book to study but it also talks about the church and the relationship that we share in the church some of those uh challenges that the church experienced we have already encountered such as divisions in the church where people were dividing up over uh, their favorite teacher or instruction Paul and Apollos and Cephas and they were kind of factions within the church there was also uh, a problem with uh, sexual immorality there was the the problem with uh, people suing one another 
in the congregation. There was a, 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 a faulty understanding of spiritual knowledge and spiritual gifts that were puffing people up and, and uh, making divisions in the church and competing in the church. All of these things were happening in Corinth, and Paul is writing the letter of 1 Corinthians trying to address these things and help the church uh, follow the gospel and live out the gospel in their city. And so as we read this letter, we are helped in our understanding of the gospel and how we as a church are to follow the gospel and live out the gospel in this world. We are in chapter 7, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We're at the last part, verse 25 through 40. Um, and uh, it is the topic of being single and being married. And we are kind of in this topic of sexual relations. Uh, Paul started talking about sexual relations by Christians in the church of Corinth in chapter 6, verse 12 and following. In 12 to the end of chapter 6, Paul was t encouraging the church not to enter into immoral relationships. It was not right and proper for Christians to have sexual relations outside of the marriage context. God designed the marriage context. But it was kind of the philosophy of Corinth that they were pretty free about that. So they would have sexual relationships outside of their marriage as a way of uh, entertainment and just uh, having fun. And uh, they had their marriages for their, for their social standing and for their kids. Paul was writing to them to tell them, no, this is not the way it should be. Marriage the context of a marriage relationship is the context for your sexual expression. So he was combating immoral, uh, kind of loose ideas about sexual behavior. But on the other side, there was a group in the church at Corinth that said, well, because sexuality is so messed up and, and uh, we can't figure it out, we should just abstain from sex altogether. Just ignore it. It kind of reminds me of when I was in college and I used to think, well, you know, what I think is the problem in the world is that people are emotional. And so what we need to do is just think well, forget our emotions, act like we don't have them, and then we'll be all right. Uh, well, they thought, well, we'll just get rid of the whole area of sex. We'll just say that it's forbidden, and then we don't have to deal with it, and we'll be all right. Problem is, is that your emotions are part of who you are and they pop up. And uh, uh, the sexual part of our lives is part of who we are. So we don't need to ignore it and shove it into a corner, act like we don't uh, have those desires or they're not part of our lives. We need to understand it, understand it in a way that God has designed it so that we know how to live in the context of a proper use and experience of that, those sexual relationships. And that's what Paul is driving at. Now, when I think about this topic, I think about this uh, cartoon I, I ran into a long time ago. And it was a cartoon of an intersection. And as you went through the frames of the cartoon, you know, the intersection was there. All of a sudden, these cars started coming in. And there were cars all over the intersection. There were lines of cars. And as you saw in the next frame, the closer look, you saw that 
Uh, people were getting out the window and shaking their fists and yelling at people and the engines were overheating and, the, and there was all kinds of confusion and no one was moving. The cars were all jammed up. And you thought, oh my goodness, this is a weird uh, cartoon. And then you saw a little pedestrian. He come walking up to the side and he's at the crosswalk. But you see this face of shock as he's looking at the sign. And usually, you know, the sign that Tells you you can walk or don't walk. Usually it flashes, walk or don't walk. And he's looking at it. And it's signed in big red letters. says, good luck. And sometimes, you know, when life gets confusing and it's difficult to navigate, sometimes people, uh, you know, I don't know if you've ever gotten advice from people in the world who kind of just live for themselves and they're, you know, they might hear your sad story and your difficult challenges and they, they'll look at you and say, well, good luck with that, whatever you decide. I hope it works out. And, you know, that's kind of like, that's the kind of advice we're getting. Uh, why do we turn to the scriptures in this situation? Because God doesn't just say, good luck. God has given us instructions. These are complicated issues, and they're challenging, and they're difficult. We do have to decipher them. We have to understand them. They're a part of who we are. And if we want to know truth and wisdom in terms of our relationships and our sexuality and our being single and our being married, we should look to our Creator. We should hear His Word. And Paul is confident that he is following the Lord Jesus and communicating God's truth. And we're confident as well. That's why we look at the Scriptures to understand how do we navigate these kinds of situations in our life. And as I said, in chapter 6, they were thinking that home, uh, immorality outside of marriage was fine. And in chapter 7, at the beginning, look at verse, uh, verse 1 of chapter 7. Uh, they say, you know, now for the matters you wrote about, so they were writing to Paul, the quotations, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. This seems to be the response to the culture and the, the so-called God's word to the church. But Paul is in this chapter going to say, no, that's, that's not the truth. And so we looked at this uh, first part, I hope you remember, a couple weeks ago. And remember, if you're not supposed to have sexual relations with a woman or with a spouse, then it seems like you should divorce. And so Paul was kind of telling them, no, don't divorce. God has put you into a marriage. You made a lifelong commitment. Marriage is a covenant that you make. And if your spouse is willing to stay with you, stay with them and if you have relations as a husband and wife, which you should do, and remember Paul talked about the obligations of a husband and a wife to each other in the physical realm, in their sexuality, that they are to share their lives together. They are to help one another and experience that part of their life together. And it's good and it's proper and it's right. But then Paul was, goes on in our section that we're looking at today to answer the question, what do we do or what happens with singles and what happens with those who are engaged and what happens with those who lose a spouse and what about marriage? So, I've entitled the message, Keeping Perspective. 
So we're going to be looking at this this intersection of life and all of these different things that can go wrong. And, and as you think about our society, you, you know that this is one of those intersections of life where there is all kinds of confusion, all kinds of difficulty in understanding what's right and what's wrong. And one of the things we learn about that in this text, in the Scriptures, is that there are things that are right and that we're free to do in the context of a marriage relationship, in the context of being single in relationship to the Lord. But there are things that are not addressed. There are things that are wrong. And so we need to look at Scripture, not just to have good luck that we'll figure it out and do what's right, but to hear God's Word applied to these situations. So we're going to read this passage it's uh, verse 25 through the end of the chapter, verse 40. Uh, you'll notice as we read this that Paul is not saying... Uh, there's a couple of things that I want to tease out. First, that we have to know that Paul is writing in the context of people saying you shouldn't have any sexual relations. And therefore, if you shouldn't have sexual relations, you shouldn't get married. So there was this question of... If there are people in the church that were engaged, and that's where if you have a virgin, that, 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 that having a virgin kind of in our day would be are engaged, then you can go ahead and get married or you might decide not to get married and there's things to consider. So uh, I'm calling it, you know, reconsidering or uh, thinking again about the issues, or keeping perspective is what I call it. I'm glad I figured that out. Uh, keeping perspective on singleness and marriage. So as we read this, you'll see that Paul is kind of talking against this idea that sexual relations are bad. They're good. He affirmed that in the first part of chapter 7. Sexual relations should happen in marriage, and that's where God designed it, and it's a good thing. That Now, if you're not married... Should you be looking to get married? And I think our church in our day, we're, we have a tendency to think that that's the normal process. That you should get married. And that people in the churches feel pressure or not included as they should because they feel like they have to be on the road to get married. I think I told you a couple of weeks ago about that older gentleman, maybe 55 years old, when I was in seminary, who took me under his wing and invited me over to his house and my wife and, and was a friend to us, and we prayed together in the mornings. He taught me how to pray. He was leading Bible studies, but he was a single man, 55 years old, and he had decided in his life that he was going to commit his way to the Lord and not... not really entertain the idea of getting married. He was going to be single unto the Lord. And he became an elder in his church, and, and, but he always had some kind of people were just a little unsure of him because he's single. This is a tremendous failure on the part of the church. We cannot say that marriage is what is expected. We should not say that marriage is what's going to bring fulfillment and what you're expected to do in your life. Marriage is good. But Paul in this passage is going to say singleness is good. And don't just look to marriage to be the thing that's going to fill your life. First and foremost, 
Look to your relationship with God and see what He's calling you to do and how He wants you to live. Because He has higher purposes than just those things. And we can't invest everything in the hopes of a marriage relationship as being what is most satisfying and is going to fulfill us. It's a wonderful thing. It's a gift of God. But on the, on the other side, the possibility and the consideration of staying single and being single and being a part of a church and serving is totally right and blessed and good if God calls you to that as well. And that's where we might be off sometimes because we expect marriage to happen. So let's read verses 25 through 40, and you'll kind of see the interplay here. Now about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trust, trustworthy. Because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you pledged to a woman? Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you this. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not. Those who mourn as if they do not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please her husband. A married woman right, is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I am not saying this for your own good, not to restrict you. I, oops, I keep throwing words in there, sorry. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone is worried that he might not be acting honorably towards the virgin he is engaged to, and if his passions are too strong and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He is not sinning. They should get married. But the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, who is under no compulsion, but has control over his own will and who has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. So then, when know, he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry her does better. A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives. 
But if her husband dies, she is free to remarry anyone she wishes. But he must belong to the Lord. In my judgment, she is happier if she stays as she is. And I think that I, too, have the Spirit of God. All right. So there's quite a bit going on here. I hope that you heard several times. If they get married, they have not sinned. Fundamentally, that tells us the accusation or the trouble that was going on in the, the church at Corinth, that marriage or sexual relations in marriage was itself wrong. Paul agrees with the people that are encouraging people not to get married, but not for the same reason that they're encouraging people not to get married. So they're saying don't get married because sexual relations are bad. Even in marriage, they're bad. Paul's saying no. But this idea of don't get married too quickly is a good thing because we should consider the singleness that God has brought us into and consider whether God would call us to stay single before we quickly jump into getting married. I think that's an important thing. So first... Consider the opportunity and blessing to remain as you are. That is, if you're single, consider remaining single. If you're married, consider remaining married. Don't be getting divorced. Remember, that was the issue. In verse 28, I want to tackle something just as a precursor. Uh, not 28, verse uh, 25. Now about virgins. I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who is who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I just want to tackle that a little bit, that 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 is a statement that oftentimes is misused. When Paul says, I have no command from the Lord, he's not saying I have no direction. I have no idea what the Lord would say. What he's saying is. The Lord Jesus never addressed this topic when he was alive. We have no recorded or remembered words of Jesus concerning this topic. So Paul here is recognizing that and also then going on to say, I think the Lord is moving and directing me to say this is how it should go. This is what you should consider. Since this is inspired Scripture, since this is in our Bibles, and we believe that the Bible is God's Word, we believe that Paul's thinking or thoughts about this topic is Paul's Word as well. So don't make the mistake of thinking, oh, well, this is just Paul's opinion and we can take it or leave it because he doesn't have a word from the Lord. It's not, not that case at all. There's no specific word where Jesus had said thus and so. So then he goes on to say, after solving that, what is Paul's opinion? We notice that Paul is saying in verse 26, because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is. So if he's single, it's good for a man. Or if a woman's single, it's good that a woman stay single. And he says the reason, because of a present crisis. Now, we don't know exactly what that present crisis is, but some have thought that it means because of when Jesus is going to turn, return again. 
that Paul expected Jesus to return in his lifetime. And so therefore, rather than spend your time in marriage and marriage relationships and all the obligations and raising kids, which would inevitably come along, just live ready, anticipating the coming of Jesus. That could be. Because the word crisis is used in several places in the New Testament for just before Jesus would come again, talking about his second coming. But there is the problem of the word just before crisis, present. Present seems to be that it's already here. It's not something that you're planning to enter into. It's something that's present because of this present crisis, this present time. So it could be that there was persecution that people were struggling with, and therefore, if you have a family and you're being persecuted, there's a greater weight on that. I remember uh, just a while back, I got to go see the movie Tortured for Christ. It was by a story about Pastor Warnbrand, Richard Warnbrand, who leads the the martyrs, uh, I can't remember the name. Uh, uh, yeah. Nobody can help me. <laughs> Voice of the martyrs. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, it's a story of his life. And, and uh, he was arrested in Romania in 1940 and spent 14 years in prison, was tortured repeatedly. And it was because he stood up to the communist regime that was moving into Romania and said that the churches should be free and we must be able to share the gospel. They arrested him. One of the ways that they would bring torture and difficulty to him was that they would share with them, share with him while he's in prison, their plans and purposes to arrest his wife and to put her in a labor camp. And then they would hold out his kids, that they're going to take his kids and make them orphans and put them into their orphan system and make sure that they never respond to him again. That all just kind of pictures that if there's a present crisis and there's temptation or there's persecution of the church, maybe Paul is saying, given this present crisis, that we need to stand for the gospel, that the days are dark and evil and that there's opposition to the gospel, maybe staying single and devoting yourself to the work of the kingdom is a good idea. It, it very well could be that. But Corinth was a port city, as I showed. It was a very populous city and there was a lot of prosperity and opportunity and education so it might not be that it might actually be what Paul describes later if you look down at verse 32 I would like you to be free from concern an unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs how he can please the Lord but a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world how he can please his wife and his interests are divided Maybe Paul is just saying, if you're single, consider your calling. Now, Paul talks about this earlier in the chapter. Like in, uh, uh, he talks about it like up in, uh, I can't quite grab it, but it's at the beginning of verse, uh, chapter 7. He talks about, oh, uh, verse 7. 7-7, seven, seven. I wish that all of you were as I am. That's Paul. He was single. He did not get married. 
But each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. So there's a question of gifting. So Paul is saying to the singles in the Corinthian church, first, before you jump into marriage and think that that's the normal expected road that you should go and everybody should get married, think about your calling. Think about whose you are. and Can you be called by God to commit yourself to a life of singleness so that you are somewhat unencumbered so that you can serve and minister for the, the, the gospel in your life. That's a legitimate concern. And so Paul's encouraging them to remain single, not because he's against sex. That's not the case. But he is focused on the high call of the gospel. Second, we must consider that even with being married, there is a high call of the gospel on every one of our lives. So for the single and for the married, sometimes people think this is only addressed to unmarried people, but I think it's addressed to the single and the married. And particularly because of verse 29 through 31, and this is so important that I think I want to read it again. My point is, consider the opportunity and blessing of living now in Christ's kingdom. Paul is saying we have the call of the gospel. The present crisis, in my understanding, is since Jesus came into the world and he taught by his life, he went to the cross and gave his life as a sacrifice and rose again and ascended on high, we're anticipating the coming of that kingdom. We're anticipating the reign of Christ. We're living in the reign of Christ, and it changes everything. That means that everything that we experience in our daily life is just kind of a, an epilogue, kind of the closing of the book, because the story has already been done. The gig is up. Jesus came. He gave his life. His kingdom has been established. He rose from the dead. It changes everything. So Paul's fundamental message is live now as you are in the kingdom of Christ. And he says that particularly well in verses 29 through 31. What I mean, brothers and sisters, whether you're married or single, is that that time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it were not yours to keep. If you did not, you do not, you will not. What must we not do? We must not be engrossed in this world. We must not be attached to this world. One of the difficulties and struggles that you have if you get married, is that you have obligations that go beyond the gospel. You have obligations that, that are, are, are important, that must be maintained. And therefore, you're not as free. It's kind of like if uh, a friend of mine or any of you from the church call and you're about to jump off a cliff, well, I'm going to come and be there. But if you call and you're having a crisis and you can't get the drum off your, your brake pads or something and you need a hand, 
I'm going to say, well, yeah, let me, uh, I, I could probably come over and help you. Just let me check with my wife and see if she's got any plans for me, too, because I have bigger obligations than, than, than just helping you on your car. <laughs> so, now, if you're jumping off a cliff, I'm going to tell my wife, I've got to go right now, and, and I, I just went. But when you're married, you have obligations. If you have kids, you have obligations that adds to the mix of living out your gospel commitments. What Paul's concerned about is that we don't allow these commitments of marriage and life and kids. Notice what he says in here. He says, if you're happy, act as if you were not. If you're mourning, act as if you were not. That means don't let the circumstances of life drive your happiness. Don't let the sadness of life drive your life if you own things don't act as if they're your possessions why because this world this life is passing away time is short we must live with a gospel understanding a gospel perspective understanding who god is and that christ's kingdom is most important and that this time is fading away it doesn't hold the water it's leaking the water is being held by the kingdom and the king we need to live for him and so paul's major concern is that we live in the kingdom of Christ now. Don't let these things take us off course. Don't let us. I love the, the phrase at the end, verse 31, those who use the things of this world as if not engrossed in them. We have a different plane on which to live. Married or single. Keep your eyes and your hearts focused and attuned to God and His plans and His purposes and live for those never forgetting that this world is passing through our fingers. It's fading away. And we're challenged. We're, we have difficulties when we're married and we have our spouses and we have kids and we have obligations to make those things firm and to discount Gospel obligations, gospel ministry, because we're doing the important stuff, the family stuff. We're taking care of our possessions. We're building our estate. Paul says, let it go. Paul would like us not to be concerned with those things in verse 32. Be free from those concerns. And if you're single, you have the opportunity to commit yourself to that. If you're married, you have a call to commit yourself to that. We are to be in the kingdom. So, consider the opportunity and blessing of living now in the kingdom of Christ. This takes us to the last section, verses 36 through 40. And this is kind of a wrap-up section, I think, of. It's... It's kind of a conclusion to the whole book, the whole chapter 7. We've only looked at 25 and following, but it really is a conclusion to the whole, whole chapter. Verses 36 through 40. What we have here is some important summary statements. 
here they are. Marrying a virgin, usually or usually an engaged couple is what the, the language is, is good and acceptable. It's not sinning against the Corinthian uh, heresy that said sex is always wrong. Marrying a virgin is good and acceptable. Not marrying a virgin is good. And for Paul, I say for Paul, even better. So it's even better. Not because sex is bad, but because you will have an, uh, an undivided heart if you commit your way in singleness to the Lord. Do not divorce your husband. This is the issue in chapter 7, verses 11 through 13. And this, too, is against the Corinthians who said sex is bad in marriage. No, don't divorce your husband, Paul said. Remarriage is good if your husband dies. This is new information. None, none of the places in the New Testament say that remarriage is okay. It actually says remarriage is good if your husband dies. Remarriage has a new requirement. This is another new principle added here. If you look, uh, look at verse uh, 39. A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. This is a new command, an, an encouragement, a, a word of wisdom. If you're going to get married and you're a believer, make sure your spouse is a believer. This is Paul's word. So if you're looking to get married, make sure you're on the same page spiritually with them. And finally, still staying single should be considered. Given the present crisis and time is short, don't assume God wants you just to get married. Trust your way and trust your way to the Lord, even if you're single, and He will direct your path. He will guide you. You will have more opportunities of ministry. Consider that as a real possibility in your life. What we find here in this passage is principles and guidelines within which we can live out our free lives in render to the Lord. This is more than good luck offered. It's direction and guidelines we must listen to in the difficult place of navigating our sexual lives, our married lives, our single lives, our widowed or widowers' lives. Warren Worsby, a former pastor of Moody Bible Church, suggested five questions that kind of summarizes this passage for us. First, what is my gift from God? Has God given me the gift of singleness? Second, am I marrying a believer? Third, are the circumstances such that singleness or marriage is right? It's what God's called me to do. Fourth, how will staying single or getting married affect my service to Christ? Fifth, am I prepared to enter into marriage for life? These are the principles that we see in this passage. And we must follow them, hear them, 
understand them and apply them to our life and our situation for God's blessing and truth in guiding us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You that You give us the opportunity of life and living. and You give us relationships. You give us grace and guidance and Your mercy in our lives. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. And Lord, that we're not just left with a, a hope-so kind of guidance, but that You give us real direction, real things to understand and know under Your design of creation for us, Your people. Lord, we thank You for the blessing of sex that You give to us that we can experience in a marriage relationship. We thank You for the opportunity to devote ourselves completely to You in a life of singleness if we are gifted in that way. Lord, these are all blessings from You. We pray for Your guidance on us in our lives as we walk through this. We pray that we would keep our eyes focused on Your truth and Your direction as we navigate these things. But most of all, Lord, we pray that we will live with a, a heart for the Gospel. Whether we're single or we're married, may we live for the Kingdom of Christ. May we have a passion realizing the time is short. The crisis is real. Lord, help us to be Gospel-centered people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.